Welcome to the weekly omnibus edition of David's Daily Digital Dollop, a project from 2016 where I released a podcast for every day of that year. The podcast was starting to get a little bit bloated with uh, 366 podcasts just for 2016 alone, so with the benefit of hindsight, in 2022 I thought, why don't I streamline things a little bit and condense the dollops into these weekly omnibus editions. We are into week eight. When you hear this sound, it means we're moving on to the next dollop. Enjoy. My housemate Ben works as a music technology teacher. He's currently at home because it's half term and he's marking the students' work, which is a rock and roll pastiche of Happy by Pharrell Williams. For the last two days, I have heard hours and hours of rock and roll versions of this one song. The students aren't allowed to use real instruments as it's testing their keyboard arranging skills, so I've been listening to what essentially sounds like polyphonic ringtone rock and roll versions of the same song, which I think ramps up the torture levels even further. And even when Ben isn't listening, to his students' work, I've still got the sound reverberating in my ears, and the three of us keep catching ourselves milling around the house singing the song. Clap your hands if you feel like a room without a roof, sings Pharrell. I think trying to imagine how inanimate objects feel is a massively flawed concept. However, I think it's safe to say that in most circumstances you'd feel pretty pissed off if you lived in a house that contained rooms that didn't possess roofs. Pharrell's initial dream was to be an estate agent, but that didn't turn out too well, as you'd imagine. So he became a songwriter and recording artist, although you could argue that his songwriting also leaves a lot to be desired. Let's just say that it's no Rebecca Slater, which was my excellent song from yesterday. Bring me down, can't Nothing bring me down. My level's too high. He's clearly not referring to his levels of understanding about grammar and sentence structure. I like the fact that he starts his song with a warning. It might sound crazy what I'm about to say. I'm not really sure, though, that he really lives up to that statement, given that the next line is, Sunshine, she's here, you can take a break. That's not really that crazy. If Pharrell had said, It might sound crazy what I'm about to say, and then followed it up with something like, I like stripping naked and rolling around in custard while singing the national anthem of Azerbaijan, then that will be different. There seems to be a tendency for pop artists to misuse the term crazy. Carly Rae Jepsen seems to think that giving someone her phone number is crazy. Hey, I've just met you, and this is crazy, but here's my number, so call me maybe. It's not really that crazy. There's nothing crazy about that situation at all. It's perfectly normal to give your phone number to someone you like. Where's Carly been living all her life? In a nunnery? Still, it's nice to know that in spite of Pharrell Williams' basic lack of English grammar comprehension and inability to understand the most rudimentary facets of building a house, he is nevertheless happy. I am also happy... As yesterday, I received some rather happy news, as the young'uns Michael Hughes and I have been asked to be the young'uns Sean Cooney's best man at his wedding in May. I have been asked to be best man twice already, and both of those weddings have fallen through, with the relationship completely breaking up. But Sean doesn't seem to have let superstition get the better of him, unless that's the reason why he's also asked Michael to be the best man, as Michael has successfully been best man at two weddings, and both couples are still together. So maybe Michael is simply the there to help dilute the curse, whereas I am the real best man. One of the weddings... What do I sit like that for? One of the weddings! A little bit over the top there. Well, nothing wrong with a bit of energy. I feel like a house without a roof. I can't help myself. 
One of the weddings that I was meant to be best man at was for Michael's wedding. Me and Sean were asked to be best men, but unfortunately they broke up, meaning that I never got to do any of the jokes that I'd prepared for the occasion, which arguably is the greatest tragedy. Michael decided to propose to his then-girlfriend Becky at the top of the Eiffel Tower whilst on their romantic weekend in Paris. Unfortunately, Michael is afraid of heights and was unable to make it to the top, and so instead decided that he'd just propose to her halfway up the tower. Still, in fair Becky is more than used to Michael only managing to get halfway up. Cue roars of laughter. I remember Becky at the time happily relating Michael's proposal speech, in which he told her that together they could achieve anything. Fortunately, she seemed far too love-struck at that moment to realise the irony of this statement, bearing in mind that they just failed to get up the Eiffel Tower together. But, as they say, love is blind. Which means technically I should be a bit of an expert on the subject, so think on that, ladies. This morning I received a text from Sean inviting me to attend a wedding fair with him to look for things for the wedding such as flowers and decorations. I know nothing about these things. And to make me even more useless when it comes to this subject, I can't even see them. So I don't think I'll be much of a help. Still, at least it'll get me out of the house and away from the bloody rock and roll versions of Happy by Pharrell Williams for a few hours. Unfortunately, Sean's fiance Emily can't make the fair because she has something with work. So it'll be just three clueless blokes wandering around, one of whom is extra clueless by the fact that he can't actually look at any of the things we're there to look at and make decisions about. I'm completely out of my depth about this sort of thing. Perhaps you can help me a little bit. Are there any questions about flowers or decorations that I should be asking the stallholders? Simply in a bid to look a tiny bit knowledgeable. What are the buzzwords when it comes to decorations and flowers? Are there any terms that I could just casually drop in? Perhaps I should just go in all confident, bold and brash. And maybe that'll help fool the stallholders that I know what I'm talking about. Okay, let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Let's talk technical. What kind of soil have we been using for these flowers? Okay, right, first things first. There's one thing you need to know about me before we get started. When it comes to decorations, I'm not the kind of guy who minces his words, right? I want no bullshit, right? So now we've established that, to business. Doilies. Talk to me about your range of doilies and leave no stone unturned. Hang on, I'll just get my laptop out and make some comprehensive notes. David's Daily Digital Dollop, Dollop 51. We are inside Sheffield Cathedral. I just thought maybe we could do a David's Daily Digital Dollop jingle. <clears throat> David's Daily Digital Dollop. David's Daily Digital Dollop. David's Daily Digital Dollop. Dollop number 51. Thank you very much. Good collaboration there. There you go. A special collaboration there between me and an organist. An unsuspecting organist who didn't have any idea that I was collaborating with him. In the taxi on the way to the train station, the driver was listening to BBC Radio 2 and the show was being presented by Tony Blackburn. I can't believe that he still talks in that voice. Fair enough, when he first started in broadcasting over 50 years ago, that was maybe thought of as a good radio voice, but it soon became parodied and ridiculed by the likes of Smashy and Nicey. But he's resolutely stuck to that voice throughout his entire career. He sounds exactly the same now as he did 50 years ago. I wonder if he's ever considered just talking normally on the radio. Just woke up one day and thought, you know what, I'm going to drop the whole nasal shtick. 
I wonder how he talks when he's not on the radio or in public. How does he talk when he's just at home with his friends and family? I'm sure it would make top story in the national news if he decided to just go on air and drop the weird voice, giving him loads of free PR. Maybe he could do it for charity. Okay, so we need to raise another £500,000 for comic relief and then Tony Blackburn will do a radio show in his normal voice. That's right. He's going to blow his nose, which he's apparently not done for 55 years, and he's going to inflect and intonate like a normal person not constantly going up and down and he's not going to do that weird shaky laughing thing when he's talking either and if he does fall back into his usual style then we'll give him an electric shock which ironically will make him do his weird shaky up and down intonation thing even more resulting in more and more electric shocks oh what fun dig deep and give generously or he could get himself a lucrative TV advertising deal for a cold relief product. You see Tony Blackburn through the years, desperately searching the shelves of countless chemist shops, looking for a cold relief solution that will work. You see Tony as a young man in the radio studio, feverishly blowing his nose. He opens the mic fader and starts his show. Welcome to the exciting new sound of Radio 1. He puts his head in his hands while a record plays. This sequence repeats a few more times. Only Tony is visibly ageing. He tries tablets, nasal sprays, potions, lotions, all sorts of things. And each time he opens up the mic fader and he sounds like a cheesy radio presenter. You then see him trying to hang out with John Peel and all the cool alternative presenters. But none of them want to talk to him because they see him as a cheesy pop DJ. You see Tony sitting at home crying while a smashy and nicey sketch play on the TV, parodying Tony's broadcasting style. Then you see him in the studio once again, only this time it's 2016. He goes through his usual pill-taking routine and opens the mic fader, only this time he doesn't sound cheesy. A broad smile plays across his face and he proudly declares in his new, sonorous, mucus-free voice, Welcome to the exciting new sound of Tony Blackburn, brought to you by, insert name of cold relief product, Perhaps he then spontaneously bursts into an impressive operatic rendition. As the sound and picture fades, you see Tony hanging out with Zane Lowe and Steve Lamack. And then you see him in the radio studio again, only this time he's on Radio 1. And he's banging out the latest dubstep tunes. And you see students outside the studio dancing and wearing t-shirts with Tony Blackburn's face on it. Just a thought. If there are any people working in advertising listening to this and they fancy working with me on some ideas, then I'd be happy to discuss terms. Obviously, as you'd imagine, I'm not cheap, but you can clearly see that I'll be well worth the investment. I mean, this idea here was just very quickly thrashed out on a 50-minute train journey, and already you can see the amazing potential. Well, I was massively impressed slash concerned about Sean's aptitude when it came to discussing flowers and decorations with the staff at the wedding fair. I tried to look as if I understood all the different options that were being presented to us, but I just kept nodding away when she was talking in what I hoped would appear to resemble nodding sagely. But then I realised that being blind, I have no idea what it looks like when someone nods sagely, and so gave it up in case I just looked like a weird, compulsively nodding idiot. But Sean seemed rather self-assured and aware of all the right questions to ask. Granted, he'd probably been well-primed by his fiancée, Emily, beforehand, who was unable to attend the fair due to work commitments. But he ably managed to have a comprehensive conversation about table decorations and seat covers, which all flew straight over my compulsively nodding head. Sean's head was clearly so stuffed full of questions and wedding-related jargon that his brain was seemingly unable to hold any other bits of information or thoughts that weren't flowers or decoration relevant. This became clear when Sean was asked by 
by the lady to spell his name, and he spelt it incorrectly. His mind was so awash with comments and questions about backdrops, drapes, sashes, and goodness knows what else he was spouting on about, that this had resulted in all of the thoughts about anything else being deleted. Fortunately, I was at hand to step in and spell Sean's name for him, which I think proves why I am the correct choice to be his best man. There were signs all over the hotel in which the fair was being held, urging people to get hands-on and try everything. I considered putting on one of the wedding dresses and getting a photo for the blog, but thought this might not be the kind of responsible behaviour expected of a best man. When we got up to the bridal suite, fortunately no one had taken the invitation to get hands-on and try everything literally. Right, up on the four-poster bed, love. Let's give this a good try. Give us half an hour, then we'll let you know our thoughts. Oh, and then we need to ask you a few questions about your range of decorative seat covers. Okay, yes, very good. We'll take it. I think one of you has done that already. Also, is this even your bride-to-be? Well, you told us to get hands-on and try everything. My bride-to-be is with this girl's bloke, trying out the showering facilities. Oh, we've been coming to wedding fairs for years. A lovely way to spend a weekend. Now, talk to me about seat covers. I always find a lovely bit of seat cover chat helps me unwind after sex. While the three of us resisted the urge to partake in a test driving of the bed, we did, however, sample quite a lot of free canapes and Prosecco, purely for research purposes, you understand. After all, I take my responsibilities as best man very seriously. I've just come back from Sainsbury's. Oh, yes, fasten your seatbelts, folks. It's going to be one hell of a dollop. I've really hooked you in there with that opening sentence, haven't I? Oh, damn. I've got a mountain of things to do before bed, and I really don't have time to read David's dollop today. But that opening sentence really caught my eye, and I'm suckered in. Although I'm rather freaked out by the fact that I'm now reading my exact thought process word for word, meaning that David has somehow preempted what I was going to think before I thought it, including this bit. How can this be? I've got some uh, spaghetti bolognese in the fridge from a couple of nights ago that I could have for tea. That'll be quick and it'll mean that I can get on with the things that I... Hang on a minute. My mind drifted off for a few seconds there. But yet, David has somehow predicted that I would do that and think about spaghetti bolognese. How is this possible? I'm sure that everyone else reading this just assumes that it's a bit of a rubbish joke from David that's gone on a little bit too long. But they're not the ones caught in the middle of this. Having your thoughts read before they've even happened. How long will this weird thought reading routine go on for? Does this prove that everything that I think and do is predestined? That David Eagle is God? I must break the spell. Maybe if I switch off the computer, somehow I'll be free from this weirdness and my thoughts will be mine once again. Okay, I must force myself to stop reading this, despite its strange hypnotic powers, as I see my own thoughts presented as text on a blog. But I must be strong if I am to break this spell. I must shut down the computer. Okay, start menu. Shut down. Okay, good. Windows is shutting down. I've just come back from Sainsbury's. Being blind, I asked someone working in the shop to help me get the things that I need. Today's lady had seemingly never seen a vegetable before, nor most of the food that I was buying. She'd never heard of a spring onion before, had no idea what a courgette was. Cherry tomatoes seemed to completely bewilder her. I've, I've heard of cherries, and I know about tomatoes, but I didn't know you could buy them as one. I wouldn't imagine it would taste very nice. She also had an unusual way of conversing, even if she didn't really have anything to bring to the table about whatever subject had come up. She'd nevertheless valiantly and enthusiastically try to join in. She asked if I was going anywhere nice this year. I told her that I'd be going to Australia shortly, and Canada later in the year. At this point, she enthusiastically declared, Really? Wow! Well, I actually used to know someone who went to Canada once, and said it was very nice. There was a bit of a pause, before she added, So, yes. My favourite line for hers came when we were looking for peas. Well, you know what they say about peas, she said. 
I didn't know what they said about peas, nor did I know who they were who were doing the saying. But when I pressed her for more information, she just giggled and said, No, no, it's okay. Never mind. I continued to press her on the issue. She'd piqued my curiosity, but she just giggled and said that she didn't want to say. But I couldn't let it go. I told her that she couldn't just come out with an incongruous line about peas and then refuse to supply further information. Why did she mention this peas thing in the first place if she wasn't prepared to talk about it? Was this some secret code? Maybe she was part of a secret society who demonstrates they're a part of the secret society with the line, Well, you know what they say about peas? At which point, if the other person responds with the second half of the agreed sentence, then they prove that they are also part of the secret society. Maybe, are you going anywhere nice this year? Was also meant as a demonstration of secret society identity. Perhaps had inadvertently answered correctly when I told her that I'm going to Australia and Canada and she had given the appropriate response in return, which might explain why what she'd said didn't really make much conversational sense and seemed odd to someone who wasn't part of the secret society. Then I asked for food that she'd never heard of before and maybe this started her to doubt that I actually was one of her own and so added the comment about the peas as a test. She just kept nervously giggling and refused to tell me. I don't want to say it. It's rude, she said. I thought that I might have cottoned on to what she was referring to. Are you suggesting that peas make you fart? Is that what you're driving at? I think I was sounding a bit like an austere father, berating her immaturity. The actual reason for my annoyance and incredulity was because I was disappointed if this was all that the last two minutes of interrogation had been building up to. Yes, yes, she giggled. Peas, peas, good for your heart. The more you eat them, the more you... <laughs> she ne- <laughs> And then she giggled some more. It's heavily demonstrated there by me, in place of the word fart. I've heard that poem being said about beans, but not peas, I replied. There was a pause. Her giggling stopped, and then she said, Oh, yes, it's beans, isn't it? Not peas. After all that, although in fairness, peas do have similar fart-inducing properties as well, so her variant of the traditional poem does technically work. I've had another run-in with Jules. I've talked about Jules a few times in these dollops. She has been a reader of these dollops since the very beginning, and she's commented on almost every one of them. I think she's probably read them all. Many of her comments have been suggestions about how I might improve the dollops. (laughs) One of her suggestions was to snort mucus up into my throat (laughs) during the dollop. That's one of the things she said. And also... We'd like to hear some of your nose-blowing, David. Oh, fair enough, Jules. You don't even listen. You read the dollops. I don't know why you're suggesting that. She's a strange woman. Many of her comments have been suggestions about how I might want to improve the dollops. And one of these suggestions was that I might want to make the dollops shorter. I addressed this comment in dollop 46, so I won't go over it again, for brevity's sake. You see, I'm learning, Jules. Last Sunday, I was really tired after coming back from the wedding fair. I'd barely slept the night before and had to get up early to leave Manchester. I got back from the fair about 4pm and still needed to write that day's dollop, but I could barely keep my eyes open. I wrote the dollop while lying in my bed, periodically falling asleep, and then waking again a few seconds later and continuing typing. 
As a result, the dollop was a bit shorter than usual. 782 words, fact fans. Jules left a comment on this dollop, saying, Well done on the precision of the shorter length of dollop. Having to say things in fewer words concentrates the mind and the ideas, and is easier to read. Thank you, Jules. Although the shortness of the dollop was more down to a malfunctioning brain and falling asleep during the writing process as opposed to anything else, perhaps I should try writing these dollops while dosed up on sleeping tablets. The next day, I was back to my usual ways, writing a blog post that contained 1,484 words. I expected Jules to be disappointed that I tantalised her with a shorter dollop and then rubbed her face in an extra big dollop the next day. But her comment was uncharacteristic. Yes, this is funny. I'd like to have heard more about the young girl and her bewilderment at the world of veg. You could have taken this for a longer walk or drawn her out more. Yes, I know. Jules is now suggesting that I write more. She's mentioned on several occasions about making dollops shorter, and then, when I write a lengthy dollop, she starts intimating that I could extend the dollop even further. For anyone who didn't read slash listen to dollop 53, here is a brief extract of the bit Jules is referring to. If you did read or listen to this before, then you can skip this bit or relive the magic one more time, and perhaps you'll find a new dimension that you didn't appreciate the first time. Very likely. Lot of hidden subtexts. I've just come back from Sainsbury's. Being blind, I asked someone working at the shop to help me get the various things. Today's lady had seemingly never seen a vegetable before, nor most of the food that I was buying. She'd never heard of spring onions before, had no idea what a courgette was. Cherry tomatoes seemed to completely bewilder her. I've heard of cherries. And I've heard of tomatoes, but I didn't know that you could buy them as one. I wouldn't imagine that they would taste very nice. There's a lot more to this story than this. The lady's lack of veg knowledge is just a scene-setter. The tip of the iceberg. The iceberg lettuce, maybe. Another vegetable the lady had probably never heard of. I cited three vegetables that I wanted to buy and explained that the lady hadn't heard of any of them. I'm not sure how much more beneficial it would have been to have continued naming vegetables and then continued explaining that the shop assistant had never heard of them. I thought that three was enough. And ordinarily, Jules would be telling me to edit and make the dollops shorter. But when it comes to veg... Vegetables. She's seemingly hungry for more. I'm feeling a bit guilty about maybe being a bit too harsh on Jules. I genuinely do appreciate her reading these dollops, and she is one of the few people that actually leaves a comment. Whereas the rest of you out there, and I know that you are there because I can see you on my web and podcast stats, you're just take, take, take. But Jules gives something back. Granted, what she gives back is at times confusing and contradictory, but at least she's participating. So I don't want to be overly harsh on her. So I thought that maybe I should do something nice. Thanks for Jules. To say thanks. So here are a few more examples of vegetables, followed by some comments about them from the clueless shop assistant. My original three examples from the 53rd dollop were actually true, whereas these are invented by me as a special treat for Jules. I also need to get a cauliflower. A cauliflower? Never heard of it. I've, I've heard of a collie, as in a dog, and I've heard of a flower. As in the thing that grows. But I I didn't know you could buy them as one. I wouldn't imagine that it would taste very nice. A flower that tastes like a dog? (laughs) No, thank you. I also need to buy a jacket potato. A what? A jacket potato? I've never heard of that before. I've heard of a jacket, as in the item of clothing, and I've heard of a potato. But I didn't know you could buy them as one. I wouldn't imagine that it would taste very nice. A potato that tastes like leather? (laughs) Rather you than me. I also need some parsnips. Some what? 
Pa's nips. As in, as in dad's nipples? That sounds disgusting. Do they cut them off the dads when they die? Or do they do it when they're still alive? It sounds very cruel. Plus, I wouldn't imagine that it would taste very nice. That's kind of the clueless shop assistant's catchphrase there, Jules. I wouldn't imagine that it would taste very nice. I could do even more, and I happily will, but you'll have to pay me. But for the sake of everyone else and myself, let's move on. Jules' comment from Dollop53 continued. Curiosity is peaked, P-I-Q-U-E-D, not peaked, P-E-A-K-E-D, which is what I wrote. Fair enough, she corrected my misuse of the word peaked, which is fine. I've never seen it written down before. I tend to have things read to me with a screen reader, so that there are certain words that I've never actually read before. So fine, I don't mind having my spelling corrected. Although, let me tell you, Jules, that my spell checker constantly gets irritated with me every single time I type your name, because apparently... It's not a correct spelling. So get your own name spelt right first before you start pointing the finger. I replied to Jules' comment with what I intended to be a jocular manner. This is what I wrote. My goodness. Well, thank you. I feel as if I'm being marked by the teacher now. Whatever you do, please don't give me lines. I have enough writing to be getting on with. Thank you very much. Glad you enjoyed it. I like the fact that you've been suggesting that I expurgate the blogs, and yet then you request more detail about her lack of vegetable knowledge. Just imagine a vegetable, then imagine that she's never heard of it, and then do that until you get bored. That should give you a similar effect. Unfortunately, I only asked her for courgette, peas, spring onions, and cherry tomatoes. Perhaps next time I will record my shopping trip, and then deliberately ask for more vegetables, and capture her reactions. Feel free to suggest vegetables that you would like me to insert. By which I mean mention. It's not that kind of blog. At least not yet anywhere. But you never know if the money's right. Have I piqued your interest, perchance? Now, I wrote this assuming that it would be taken as a light-hearted response to Jules's critique. She's correcting my spelling, which I really don't mind, and she's making suggestions about how I can improve what I've written, which is very different to how anybody else interacts with these dollops, but fair enough. Why not? So, I made a little joke about her being like a teacher, marking my work, and I assumed that it would be taken as a joke, especially given that she's hardly fallen shy of offering frank comment herself. Jules has probably read every single one of my dollops, meaning that she's had an insight into the way that I think for seven weeks. So I'd assumed that she'd know that I was merely joking when I made that comment to her. But I think that maybe I've given Jules the impression that I am annoyed with her. I received a reply from Jules saying, Ah, that's where I'm going wrong then. I thought it was any reaction that you wanted. And that, sadly, was mine. So I think that Jules has taken umbrage with my reply. Fortunately, I've written this lovely blog post to help placate her and smooth things over between us, so everything should be fine now. Are we cool, Jules? How about one more vegetable scenario to make things good between us once again? Okay. I also want to buy a pumpkin. A what? Pump? As in fart? Kin? What, like a family member? A family member's farts. Ha, I'm sorry. You're just being stupid now. I'm sick of hearing about these ridiculous made-up vegetables. I'm not prepared to help you anymore, sir. Good day. I'm leaving. But not before I've said, I wouldn't imagine that it would taste very nice. Gotta get the catchphrase in, eh, Jules? Oh, and I made this dollop extra long for you. Just to say thanks. Now, before we start today's dollop, I did receive a comment from someone yesterday who asked me what the farting noises was all about in the podcast. 
Now, I had no idea what she was talking about. She said that she kept hearing, like, weird little farting noises, and she assumed that it was me doing it deliberately because of the little joke that I made about pumpkin. I mean, imagine if it was that. I mean, I didn't do that until nine minutes into a ten-minute piece of audio. If I was doing weird fart noises up until that point, that wouldn't have made any sense whatsoever. I'd be like, I'd be referring to a joke that wouldn't be happening until nine minutes later. So it wasn't that. I wasn't doing farting noises. She then responded back saying, actually, I think it's my chair squeaking. I was thinking, the only thing I could think of it being was that sound, which is me reading the Braille. Now and again, you can hear my fingers on the Braille. Let me know if you hear any farting sounds. I mean, maybe there is a, maybe the poltergeist has come back. He's now sabotaging the podcast. I just farting. I listened to it back and I couldn't hear any farts. I could just hear the occasional which is the sound of my braille machine. Okay, dollop 56. Great news! Yesterday's dollop gained the attention of comedian Peter Kay. He's apparently been searching for a variation on his famous garlic bread routine, but has never found the right combination of words. But then Peter found yesterday's dollop, and this has seemingly put an end to his years of seeking. He's offered to buy the rights to use my vegetables routine, which I only included yesterday as a flippant throwaway section to simply pacify jewels. Here is the email that I received from an excitable Peter Kay just a few hours ago. Hello, David. This is Peter Kay. I was surfing the net when I came across your website. Okay, I'll admit, I was actually searching for young Hungarian fat gay boys. But after ten hours of non-stop niche porn, I eventually found your website. I'll be honest, most of what I read was shit. But there was one bit that I really liked, and that was your vegetables routine from yesterday's dollop. I would be interested in buying the rights to this routine. I was thinking £1,000 and all the garlic bread that you could ever want. I still get sent cases of garlic bread by people after my amazingly hilarious garlic garlic bread routine. Do you remember it? I basically just say the words garlic bread over and over again and people laugh. I've been trying for years to come up with another idea as brilliant as that one. And when I saw your blog post, I knew that I'd finally found it. I immediately imagined myself on stage delivering the cauliflower line. I was saying the two words, sounding completely bemused, as if the idea was the most ridiculous thing that I'd ever heard in my entire life. Then I just continued saying the same two words over and over again but changing the intonation the pitch and the inflection sometimes I would say collie flower pausing dramatically and giving equal incredulity to both the word collie and the word flower other times I might stress the word collie more than the word flower and vice versa collie flower you see I was also playing around with the length and the pauses, just reacting in the moment. I mean, I was really experimenting with the form and the metre and the delivery of the words. I reckon that I could keep this going for a good ten minutes. I could hear the audience's hysterical laughter, unabating. I felt that power once again, the kind of power that I have not felt since the glorious garlic bread days. I would just keep saying the same two words in different ways, and people would be helpless with laughter. So, what's it to be, David? Is it a deal? £1,000 and all the garlic bread you could ever want. Oh, and I'll also go halves on you with all the cauliflower that comes my way as a result of the routine. You've really struck gold this one, David, but if you tried doing the cauliflower routine yourself at your own gigs, then I don't think you'd be giving the material the prestige that it truly deserves. Plus, I don't think you have what it takes to be able to deliver the same two words over and over again and make an audience wet themselves with laughter. I am the man for that job, David. Why don't you sell 
sell the rights to me, and you can just stay at home, living a life of luxury, munching your way through mounds of garlic bread and cauliflower. Leave the hard graft to me. Let me know your thoughts. P.S. Please keep your response brief, as you do tend to go on a bit. I don't know how you dare, Peter. You've just bloody talked away for absolutely ages. I mean, that was the longest email. I mean, you could have, you really could have been a lot briefer, I think. You said the same thing quite a lot of times, but that's what you do, so fair enough. Exciting news. I'm considering my options, although I think I might try and haggle a bit, maybe trying at a 70% stake in the cauliflower bounty. What will the deficit be by the end of next month? We will get deficits down because we're clamping down on the staffing agencies. And I have to say, I think if Nye Bevan was here today, he'd want a seven-day NHS because he knew the NHS was for patients up and down our country. Nye Bevan would be turning in his grave if he could hear the Prime Minister's attitude towards the NHS. He was a man with vision. He was a man with vision who wanted a health service for the good of all. Ask my mother. Oh, I think I know what my mother would say. I think she'd look across the dispatch box and she'd say, put on a proper suit, do up your tie and sing the national anthem. We're talking of motherly advice. My late mother would have said, stand up for the principle of a health service free at the point of use for everybody. In defiant opposition to David Cameron's risible and all too revealing comments about Jeremy Corbyn in yesterday's PMQs, I am writing today's dollop wearing an ill-fitting suit and an unstraightened tie. I think that Cameron's comment to Corbyn really displayed his true colours, and I'm not referring to your outfit, David, but something a lot more important and disconcerting. Yes, David, even more important than suits and silly songs. We saw the mask come off. Obviously, this is a figurative mask, as a real mask would clash with his suit and his mother would be livid. We saw the real David Cameron, the pompous, privileged, patriotic, priggish, preening prat. Put on a proper suit, do up your tie, and sing the national anthem. That's what's important in David Cameron's world. Sod the NHS, sod the actual real issues, buy a better suit, and sing a stupid song asking a fictitious entity to save the figurehead of an outdated, pointless totem of inequality and injustice. I think you need to re-evaluate what really needs saving. You actually have it within your power to do some genuine, valid saving. The NHS, the welfare state, the BBC, the emergency services. What happened to the hoodie-hugging Cameron? The man of the people image. You mean, that was all a sham? I'd love to be a fly on the wall at Downing Street, partly because I'd be interested to hear Cameron's post-PMQ's debrief, but mainly because I'd just like to shit in Cameron's dinner. If ever I listen to Prime Minister's questions, I always end up feeling completely baffled. Nothing ever seems to really get properly addressed. The whole discussion on the Health Secretary's statistics about patient deaths at weekends is a casing point. Corbyn accused the Conservatives of being guilty of overstating the figures. The Labour side cheers. Cameron comes back at Corbyn and says that they are guilty. A hush descends over the place. Is Cameron really going to admit that they made a mistake? That's what we're all thinking. But then Cameron does something really clever. He pauses for dramatic effect and then delivers the punchline. Guilty of actually understating the figures. 
The Conservatives are jubilant. Ah, they're snidely and torn. And then we move on to another question, leaving me completely confused. Are the statistics understated or overstated? And this happens all the time in PMQs. Does anyone really know? The reactions of the assembled Conservatives seem to suggest that they don't have a clue. Hence the stunned silence, and then, ah, when Cameron does his pull back and reveal. Oh, God, that's just given me an image that I could really do without. I'm getting a little concerned that these dollops have some odd power to influence the universe. I wrote about Richard Dawkins dying, and then I discovered that he just had a stroke. Last Saturday, I wrote about Tony Blackburn's career, and today it emerges that he's just been sacked by the BBC. I just hope that nothing bad has happened to Jules. If you're still reading these dollops, Jules, let me know that everything is okay, and that you haven't recently just contracted a disease or been fired from your job. On the plus side, though, I have just written about David Cameron, so fingers crossed. Actually, I best keep my fingers uncrossed for now, because typing with crossed fingers would probably be rather difficult. Back tomorrow, if I'm not too bloated after my celebratory garlic bread and cauliflower binge. We'll be here in the farts tomorrow. (laughs) 